Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Family-owned businesses and the business of getting the next generation involved is Francesco Comparado's business. This discussion ranges from parenting to getting the next generation ready to talking about, is your business the resented sibling? Are you setting your kids up for success? And when should you get your children working in the business? The answer might surprise you, so enjoy this episode. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. My guest today is Franco Lombardo from Vertage. He is a wonderful former financial planner that now helps family businesses who are fairly large in size deal with the different side of business. Welcome, Franco. Thanks, Wendy. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Absolutely great. So how did you get into this side of the business of dealing with the emotional side of things? So as you mentioned earlier, I was in wealth management for about 16 or 17 years. Yeah. I was good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't really jam me. It was not mm. driven by it. And one day I realized that the more money I was making, I'm going to use a very technical term. So audience and Wendy don't take it personal. It's just the best way to describe it. Please don't be offended. Is the moment I was making, the more of an asshole I was becoming. Ooh, interesting. And I thought that can't be right. You know, there's got to be something wrong with this picture. So I talked to my accountant at the time and he referred me to a coach that I still work with to this day guy by the name of Dov Baron, D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N. Yeah. And he helped me realize that I was more fascinated by the emotional side of wealth than the actual management of it. Mm, interesting. I, I, you know, I love the coaching. I have two business coaches myself. Uh, I feel like sometimes that's undervalued. The fact of having another perspective in your life is so helpful. Yeah. Well, you know, what happens, Wendy, is we don't see, um, our issues, or we choose not to, we're afraid of them. So it's usually best to have someone that puts the light on the things we don't want to look at. Mm. And then so we get to make decisions about that. You made me think of someone once said to me, you can't see the label when you're in the jar. Exactly. That's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. Um, so you do a lot of work with large families. What are, are their concerns the same as smaller family enterprises, or are they the same, but just scaled differently? Well, I think the primary concern is a parental concern, which mm-hmm. is how do I as a parent prepare the children? Yes. The one to handle the wealth, whatever the wealth is, dollar-wise or how it's positioned. Um, the thing is, is when we ask those parents, can they clearly define or articulate what does prepared mean? They don't know. Hmm. Right? So whether they know um, they want their child to inherit a million dollars, a hundred million or a billion, uh, they don't know what prepared means. So that's a big challenge. Yes. Right. So what they're really saying is, you know, I want to make sure that my children are responsible. 
I want to make sure that they're not ruined by the wealth. I want to make sure that they're contributors to society uh, and that they continue this tradition or the legacy that I've created and that they honor it. That's what they're trying to say, but they're not able to articulate it. So the default is for the families that I work with um, is they typically want their children to get an education. You know, so, so the next generation gets sent to Harvard or Oxford or Kellogg or, or London School of Economics. They get a nice degree uh -huh. and they're intellectually prepared but they're not emotionally prepared. What are they emotional? Like, what are the levels of emotional preparedness that they have to go through then? So if I have the intellectual side, so my logical brain knows what I have to do. What are the, what's going on on the emotional side of my brain? Oh, one of the biggest, so as, as, a, as a dear friend of mine um, and colleague of mine said, privilege can crush, mm. right? Yeah. So unless, you know, the next generation understands how they feel about being part of a wealthy family yeah, and are willing to share those feelings with another, then otherwise those feelings get in the way. So more often than not, a lot of my clients next gen have feelings of guilt and shame yeah. because you know they're part of this lucky family, uh -huh. haven't really done anything to earn the wealth other than being born into it. So that sometimes is a challenge. So if someone- How does that present guilt, itself? If someone has guilt or shame about the wealth, then they're being asked to one day take this over. It just compounds it. So how does that manifest, right? So the guilt and shame must come out in some sort of behavior um, that's probably, you know, it's probably across the board, but what is it most likely to present as? So a lot of, a lot of them will run away. Run away, meaning they'll, they don't want to, they- They'll leave the country. They'll go somewhere else where they're not recognized. Okay. So okay. they're leaving the family. They're leaving all that behind. Yeah. Yeah, you know, some of them will engage in destructive behaviors, addictions, mm -hmm. ways to numb the feelings, distract themselves from the, from, from the pressures, right? And, and, and some of them will, will really do the work yes. and get engaged and take on the family business, the responsibilities and such. Do you find it's a cycle that they maybe go through? The ones that are feeling that guilt and shame, do they naturally come out or do they always need a help, get it, guidance to get out? They need guidance. You know, it's, it's, you know, for example, if someone is a tendency to be a people pleaser, mm. they're going to continue to do that because they're getting some of their basic needs met through people pleasing until they realize that, you know what, maybe people pleasing doesn't serve me as an individual and people step all over me. Huh. Fascinating. Do you find that as you work through the generations, Franco, that the concerns or the emotional side changes or does it just change how it presents? The issues are always the same. Uh -huh. You know, um, you know, I wrote um, in my sixth book, I'm coming up with a concept called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yes. Okay. And all families of wealth face these. Okay. So the first one is the fair versus equal conversation. Say that again. The fair versus equal. I want all to treat the fair all the children versus the same. Yeah. So I want to give them, you know, I want to give them all shares in the business, uh -huh. even though they may not qualify. And have what it takes to be shareholders. Right. Right. But I want them all to have the same. Or I want them all to have a job in the shop. And they're going to pay them all the same, even though they do different roles. Mm. That creates resentments between the siblings. Yeah. The next horseman is the enable versus empower. So okay. every family will have the weaker family member, mm -hmm. either intellectually, physically, emotionally. So what happens is the parents want to overprotect. So they make life a little easier for this individual. They uh -huh. enable certain behaviors that aren't really acceptable. 
versus empowering that individual to take accountability and responsibility for their behaviors. Uh -huh. That leads to the third horseman, which is entitlement versus contribution, uh -huh. right? Uh, and this starts very subtly from parents saying, for example, you know, Wendy, this is our home. Well, it's not our home. It's my home because I bought it and I paid for it. You as my child get to have the benefits of living in it, but it's not yours. Okay. So that say that again. So that's entitlement versus contribution. Contribution. So um, in that example of the home, it's my home, not my children's home. What am I teaching them? That they may want to contribute to uh -huh. receiving some of the benefits of living in that house. Mm-hmm. Keep your, keep your bedroom clean. Take out the laundry. Walk the dog. Mow the lawn. Contribute, contribute versus just receive. Do you see, like, even in, you're making me think of even just society. Like, I feel like there's this whole generation of parents that just want to give. And whether they're a snowplow or a helicopter, that they're trying to do all these things for their kids. And they're setting them up. From my look, that's exactly million. so. What happens is because parents, in some cases, will have guilt of not being around. Mm. They've been busy building a business or doing something else. They want to make up for that lost time with a checkbook. Wrong currency. Wrong you don't pay currency. off dollars with rubles. You pay off dollars with dollars. Mm -hmm. right? So how do how do they? So, how and do they... the other thing is, is some of these parents want their children to like them. There's a difference between being liked and respected. Uh huh. Right. So as I tell my parents, you know, that I work with is it's your job to have your children respect themselves and to respect you. It's not your uh -huh. job to have them like you. If they uh -huh. get to like you, that's a bonus. Right. right. So what happens is, as I tell a lot of my, my, my clients is if you watch how you your children, the younger ones, look after their toys, that's how they're going to look after your wealth. Right. So parents nowadays seem they want to make life a little easier for their kids. And that, that's a societal thing. Yeah. You know, we don't even, even in schools, everybody gets a medal. Yeah. You're kidding me. That, you know, because that, that promotes mediocrity. Yes. Do we want mediocre leaders? Do we want mediocre business people? No, we don't. But let's not hurt any feelings. Let's give everybody a medal for, for trying and being involved. Business doesn't work that way. I feel like some of the best people I've ever worked with um, all had challenges in their childhood or as they were growing up it wasn't smooth sailing jewish families have a beautiful term where they say don't kneecap the kids okay tell me more children how as you just said when you know we we learn by falling down scraping our knees and bruising some bones yeah the only way we learn right is by experiencing a failure yes if we don't allow our children to fail they'll never experience the failure they won't associate the feelings associated with that and they're always looking for you know the safety net. Yeah. So if you allow them to fail and then provide support about how they feel about that failure, it's probably a better and more pain. What did they learn? Them. What did you learn from that failure? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I often feel like I learn more from my failures than my successes. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Okay. So I think we've done three horses. What's the fourth? The fourth one is burden versus responsibility. Burden versus responsibility. That's so a lot that's, of times. So the classic line is, you know, one day, junior, this will all be yours. Mm, uh -huh. Right. I have a client of mine, sixth generation family member. When he would go into the family business, there was portraits of all the predecessors and the staff, you know, well-intended would say, hey, when's your picture going to be up there? That puts a lot of pressure on a nine and 10 year old. 
oh my god that was when that was happening yes mm -hmm. now it was well intended they weren't being mean right we just oh. say, hey when are you gonna take over yeah right? so that that puts an enormous burden on them versus choosing to take over so hmm. when they choose it becomes a responsibility they get to choose that is a big but so it feels like by reading this book that you've got coming up you can understand how to actually get your children positioned so they do choose to take over yeah you know and and the book is about emotional traditions oh Okay. Title of it, right. So yeah. it's really about understanding what are the emotional traditions of the past and how they're influencing our decision making today and thereby influencing our future. And whether that's still appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I think of traditions. Um, well, I think about my wedding like 15 years ago and I go, there's some traditions that still make sense and there's some that don't. Yes. So why am I still doing these ones that don't make sense anymore? Yes. Yeah. But I think you have to be um aware and prepared to look at them all how often should people look at these traditions as often as possible Ooh, what so so as a part of a regular meeting rhythm or well, think, family I meetings think, you know so so one of the tools that, that we're, we're we're unveiling in the new book is is the acronym is act so it's really first of all develop awareness mm -hmm. right uh, and then acknowledgement mm. and then realize that you have choice Mm -hmm. in that choice you choose to do different and then that's where transformation occurs mm -hmm. so i'm going to use you know a simple analogy of an alcoholic okay mm -hmm. so an alcoholic says you know what? gee i have awareness that i'm an alcoholic i realize it give me another rum and coke look i'm an alcoholic give me another rum and coke but until they go to the acknowledgement phase of gee you know what i'm an alcoholic and my behavior has impact on those and others that's the acknowledgement phase mm -hmm. people want to skip that one over yeah. Right. And then once you acknowledge, you know, geez, you know, my drinking impacts my decision making. It impacts how I treat my family. It maybe impacts my work. Maybe I have a choice in not having a drink. And then the doing different is not having a drink. Right. And in the not having a drink, transformation occurs. But we can't get there until we've been at the acknowledgement phase. And as yes. I said earlier, people like to skip that one over. Why do you think that is? Is it because it's it causes you to do a little bit more work? It's uncomfortable. Mm. It's uncomfortable sitting with your with the consequences of behaviors. It's uncomfortable sitting in the feelings of abandonment and shame and guilt and all those feelings. Human beings don't like to feel. We think we feel, and that's an oxymoron. You can't think a feeling, you got to feel it. Right. Right. And we get stuck on, you know, it's not okay to feel sadness. Let's just skip over that one. Mm -hmm. Not okay to feel guilt. That's a nasty one. So let's just move past. As opposed to really sitting in it, understanding it, not making it wrong, just saying, you know, I accept I'm feeling guilt today. What can I learn from this? Hmm. Um, when it comes, to, so it sounds to me like every family business would require services of your nature or should be looking into services of your nature. If they want to transition the wealth and the family mm -hmm. healthily, yes. Yes. I like that term healthily, Franco. Tell me, so who's got it right? Give me, is there a public example that um, you could say they got it right that we could talk about? Well, I can tell you what's, what are the characteristics are of getting it right. Yes. Okay. The first one is that um, not every sibling should be a shareholder. Mm, okay. Right. It's something that has to be earned. Just because, just because you got the name Brookhouse doesn't mean you get to 
inherit one quarter of the billion dollar for fortune that the Brookhouse families created. And that, that's a hard thing for families, for parents to get their, their head around. You know, I want my kids to, it goes back to the fair versus equal piece, right? That's I what I was going to go into. So but, it's not fair for me to get the quarter. So it's, it's, it's like, I want all my kids to inherit equally, mm -hmm. but am I putting, you know, am I giving a 12 year old the keys to a Ferrari? Maybe they're not ready. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they never get it. Maybe they don't get it today. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what readiness is. When are they ready to drive the Ferrari? What do the training wheels look like? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's get the push car first. Let's get the pedal car first. Okay. So if they're not, so earning the, the spot at the table, if you will, earning the ability to do that. Um, second, so, so that's number one. Number two is they have to want to be involved. Mm, yeah. They got to want to be involved in the business. Mm-hmm. Right. So in other words, they have to have had experience working somewhere else, earning a paycheck, yeah, working yeah. with teams, deliverables, accountabilities, and responsibilities, involvement. Do you recommend that most of, let's say, the, the family, so the kids of the of the business owner definitely go work somewhere else? In the ideal world, minimum of five years elsewhere. Okay, minimum of five years. And should it be in a similar business or should it just be obvious? Well, ideally a similar business. You can take some of that and learn, mm -hmm. right? Or a different business or something relatable. You know, so if the family business is at say shipping, yes, maybe you go work in a logistics business mm -hmm. as an example. You know, if the family isn't say food, maybe go work in, in, in agriculture. Right, get an appreciation for what, how it is hard it is to earn a paycheck. Yeah. And the work required. And it goes back to parents wanting to make life easy for the kids. I don't want my kids to suffer. Well, by them not suffering, you're creating entitlement. Right. So parents say to me, my kids are spoiled. Yeah. And who's responsible for that? You are. Exactly. Your business is making a profit. You're growing. But you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success. Don't worry. You're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your financial diagnostic score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. Take that message, Franco, and how do you, if they're in their twenties so, or something, how do you reverse that? So I give them the message once they've paid me. <laughs> the one thing I've learned from one of my coaches is deliver the truth once you've been paid. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, people don't appreciate it, right? <laughs> so, and you know, behaviors can be transformed if there's a willingness and a desire. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a sixty-five-year-old client. Uh, he's a fifth generation family member and he is a completely different man. As a result, he's worked, he's done with us and other coaches. Uh -huh. And the relationship with the son has been transformed because there was a desire to want to transform it. Got you. It so he's going to do the work. Nothing happens. Yeah. How right? long does it take to shift an, uh, a relationship if you do the work and both sides are open to it? Three years. Okay. It's not overnight. No. I guess none of the good stuff really is. No, no, you know, this this is not Viagra for relationships. <laughs>
Oh, man, oh, man. And um, the last piece, the last piece that, that families that get it right um, is there is a high degree of honesty with okay. yourself and each other. Yeah. So that that that's tied into the um, emotional maturity, willing to look at unresolved family dynamics. Do you work with people one-on-one -on -one or in groups? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how does that happen? So our process uh, really starts with education is we, we get all the participants, you know, we interview them and then we help them understand what their perspective is from a current reality, what their perspective is from a desired reality. And then we bring them together for education. We mm -hmm. help them understand, you know, that they're part of the system and with that system, there's challenges. So it's not personal. So if you go to a steakhouse, there's going to be a steakhouse on the table. It's just the way it is. You're part of a family business. These are the issues you're dealing with. It's not personal. Right. Then we engage in one-on-one -on -one coaching where we help them understand why they do what they do. So as mm. I tell a lot of my clients and when I speak, everything we do, Wendy, we do for a reason. Yes. Most of us have no idea what that reason is. So we help individuals understand what's their driver behind their decision-making. What's their emotional driver? Yeah. Once we've completed one-on-one -on -one coaching, then we can bring them together because then at that point, they've taken accountability and responsibility for their emotional drivers. They have an awareness of the impact that has on relationships. And then we start to run family meetings to help them create what we call the emotional governance. Yeah, I love the, um, the emotional governance. So it's almost like the one-on-one -on -one coaching not only deals with them personally, but it also helps them with an approach so they understand potentially how to engage and how to deal with these issues. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, because, because you know, the common denominator in every relationship that you have, Wendy, is you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you better understand what your emotional drivers are that impact your decision-making, the better the relationships you're going to have with others. Mm. Well, that's perfect. So the six pillars of emotional governance, um, what are the top two that you would say have to be dealt with first? Well, I think um, it's one of our, what we call our, our blocks that says family unease when repaired improves the bottom line and ensures legacy. Family unease. When repaired improves the bottom line and ensures legacy. So without dealing with the family issues, everything else will fail eventually. Right. So the, the emotional health of a family is probably a bigger indicator of successful uh, transitions in generational wealth than maybe intellectual understanding how to run a business. Yes, or the structure. Or the structure. What does that mean to you? So, you know, a lot of the families and advisors will put in the proper structure from a trust perspective uh -huh. or governance perspective, right? Without realizing that there's those structures are meant to be put in place for human beings. And human beings have these things called feelings that when get triggered, create family dynamics and conflict. Uh -huh. So unless we have a conflict resolution tool or a emotional governance document that says how do we as human beings agree to treat each other yeah those structures aren't as effective as effective as they could be so uh an emotional government uh do you call it treaty framework framework basically is uh, how we're going to do business as a family and what we're trying to do no it's how um, we're going to treat each other as human beings first first okay right because when you strip away all the roles and responsibilities, we're left with human beings, mm -hmm. right? So if that human being understands why they do what they do, yes, and they take accountability for their behaviors, mm -hmm. when you throw in the hat of sibling, shareholder, director, 
you've got the same human being. So it's about the humans learning how to get along. It's so it's almost it's almost so basic, but yet it's the most important thing. Yes. So it's interesting. What have you found? Um, so you would you fit into a family office? Would you run a family office like for your clients? What are, like this is just another thing they have to deal with in terms of managing overall family and well, business. First of all, they don't have to do anything. No, right? no, no. Yes, it's in their benefit if they want yes. to, you know, transition the wealth and the family in a healthy way mm-hmm. to do this, right? But if they choose not to, you know, they will transition the wealth, but the family may not, may be just, may be broken. Mm. right so yep. it's just a matter of you know does the family really matter to you you know a lot of people say family matters okay how much time are you spending with them well you know words and actions are very different yes and the actions are the truer ones i would say if you want to find out what matters to someone find out where they spend their time mm. so how when someone works with someone like you is it an ongoing all the time thing that you need to keep it involved and tweak as, so, as you go or you know, an engagement will last three to four years, yeah. right? And then once we finish the emotional governance framework, um, they will retain us. So we'll become sort of like their chief coaching officer. Okay. Right? So issues come up, we can resolve them fairly quickly because we know all the history, mm-hmm. help run their family meetings on a quarterly basis, right? Just to keep them on track because what we're talking about is helping them with new behaviors, new ways of being. Yeah. Human nature is to slip back if we're not yes. staying on the path. So we help them stay on the path. The uh, quarterly family meeting, what's on that agenda? Is it different oh. per client or is there some suggested ones that you make? It's different for client and it's really about, you know, what's come up, you know, how are you applying the guiding principles, what's working, what's not, uh, what are the sticky points, how are you getting in the way of each other emotionally, that sort of stuff. Do you think quarterly is enough or is that just... Cool. Um, Well, that's fascinating. And I love how you've come into that journey by recognizing and working with a coach on yourself that you love working on the emotional side of it. Um, Do you feel like you're, do you do much of the coaching yourself as well? Or do you focus on the, on the, say the, um, the owner and then have other coaches helping the others or? No, I I work. I, so when I talk in a family, I work with the entire family. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and, um, as I said earlier, I'm continuously working on myself, right? I have mm. two, uh, personal coaches that I work with and I've got, you know, my, my business coach, which is Dan Sullivan that you and I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two personal coaches really helped me understand why I do what I do, peel back the layers, really deep in the learning. That is uh, fascinating to me. A uh, quick question that I'm interested, just as a curiosity, uh, do you find like in the past Traditional Moors always said the business was going to be taken over by the sun. Are you seeing any change in that uh, automatic assumption, like that the daughter might take it over? Has there been a transition or a change in mindset around that, or is it still kind of the same? I think it depends on where you are culturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that, there was a study that came out of Harvard uh, that said that women inheritors are better inheritors than men. Okay, what was the reason? Well, number one, testosterone. Mm-hmm. They don't need to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They're not competing with dad. Yeah. Tend to, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And they tend to be more empathetic and emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. You so know, yeah. so I, I've always been fascinated. There's a study I'd love to do or love someone to do it is when you look at some of the greatest family business breakups, 
it typically involves male siblings. Interesting. Versus female siblings. So the preponderant, the, the, it's more predisposed to happen to male siblings than female yes, siblings. Because there's a need, because, you know, these, these boys have been taught intentionally or unintentionally to compete since they're little. Mm -hmm. Competing for attention, competing for performance, competing for daddy or mommy's love. So Trying to seat at the head of the table. Really, they're going to compete with each other. Huh? That's their natural tendency versus collaboration and being open and trusting each other. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, that's fascinating. What haven't I asked you for the for someone who's running a family-owned business right now? What would you say if they've done none of this work yet, or they're just starting to contemplate, hey, I might want to transition this down to my kids? Like, so they're first generation. What should they be thinking about? Uh, define what prepared is. Really get clear on what that means to them. Okay. You know, uh, really. Um, take the time to ask the kids if they have any interest in the business is what a lot of parents don't realize is let's say, you know, Wendy, you have two children. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you've been focused on building this business in the kids' eyes, the businesses are competing siblings because the business has gotten all the attention and most of the attention that they haven't gotten mm -hmm. at the shop on Saturdays when they're at the ball at the ballpark, right? You're up yeah. late instead of being at home. So what's happening is you're asking me as a child to take over something that I really am resentful of. Because mm. it got the attention and I did not. Oh, that's so interesting. Do you think that... Um... So don't assume your kids have the same passion as you do, ask them. And if they say yes, then get them involved early. Mm. Take them to the shop on a Saturday, help them understand what you do, right? There's, uh -huh. there's a fantastic family that gets their children, the next generation involved. I think around seven or eight. Seven or eight. Okay. I wouldn't have thought that early. And what they do is they take them out and introduce them to the basic ingredients of their product. They talk about wheat and water. Okay. Why it's so important. Mm -hmm. So they start educating them about the basics of their product. And then if they show an interest, then they start to have more conversations around the business and what the product is. Wow, and is this structure or this approach been passed down generation to generation? Yes. So what generation are they on now? I think they're on seventh. Wow, so they're beating all those odds of the yeah. percent failure in the second generation. Yeah, yeah, they've got very, very clear emotional governance in place. I've not worked with them, I've just heard them speak and they're just incredible what they've done. That's awesome. Um, cool, so that's the basics, start early. Yeah. Open dialogue. Um, if they start early with the open dialogue, do you think that they're able to um, reduce the chance of shame and guilt around money if they are talking? Yeah, um, if they have a conversation about how do you feel about it? Just, just, you know, just tell me, you know, how do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. So I'll share a funny story with you. Um, this um, individual, I'm not going to give you the name, but it was the household name. Uh, this individual and his family have been used to flying private for a long time. Mm -hmm. And one day they took a commercial flight. And they're flying up front, business. Yeah. And the child, I think was 10 or 11. Yeah. The daddy, why are all these people on our plane? So then he knew we had some work to do. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, so, so, and the other thing that I would recommend is don't confuse parenting with business. Oh, can we go into that a little bit more and the yeah, difference? You bet. Yeah. You know, as a parent, um, so the four horsemen that we talked about earlier, those are all parent issues. Yeah. Those aren't chairman issues, shareholder issues, or CEO issues. 
those are parenting issues. So be mindful of how you're parenting. And I'm not saying that you're bad parents, listeners. I'm just saying be mindful of how you're doing it, right? A simple thing is like, this is not our house. My house, you get to receive some of the benefits. And for that, I may suggest you contribute. Mm, versus business. Allow your children to fail. Mm -hmm. And when they are expressing their feelings or their emotions, allow them to do that too. <sighs> Don't shame them or make them wrong for being angry, expressing anger. You think that's the biggest thing? Like to it's a, mass, it's a massive issue. So, you know, so what happens, you know, parents are human beings and they got bad days and sometimes they're tired. And sometimes, you know, they don't, they lack patience. So the child is losing it in the grocery store. And the parent says, I don't like you right now versus I love you. I just don't like your behavior right now. Separate the two. Wow. That's pretty powerful, Franco. So I like that parenting versus business is different. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So focus on raising good kids that are healthy, emotionally yeah. able to express themselves and introduce them to the business early in different ways to find out if they're interested and accept their answer. If it's no, I guess would be the, if they're Absolutely. not interested, yeah. it's okay. You know, in my fifth book, Safe Space, Governance and Action, I talk about the importance of creating emotional safety, mm. right? That means is one of our very basic needs, Wendy, is we want to feel safe in our relationships. Yeah. And yet most of us don't because we come from this thing called family. So somewhere along the line, you know, we expressed our emotions and we were shut down. Mm -hmm. We may have been ridiculed or made wrong. So we're like, mm, why would I do that again? So we don't yeah. feel emotionally safe, right? Um, so as a parent, I think one of the parents' roles is to model and create an emotionally safe environment for the children to express themselves. We got that one piece right as a parent, you know, the succession would be a lot easier. One of the books I read um, often talked about, if you want your kids to take off your business one day, don't, don't complain about it at the dinner table every night. Exactly. Why would they want to take that headache on, right? Right. So it feels like you have to be super aware at all levels of it where you're trying to, to guide. Right? What's that? It goes back to the awareness, acknowledge, choice, do different transformation. That's amazing. Franco, this has been a fascinating uh, discussion and it feels like the real bottom line here is if you want your kids to take over the business, be a good parent. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Thanks for your time today. Wendy, absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.